Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. Good morning, church. It is so awesome. So I'm so glad to be here with you guys this morning, just sharing the word. Uh, we're praying for our pastor who is out of town, but I'm so thankful uh, to Pastor Josh and the rest of our pastors and to God for the opportunity to, to get to join you guys this morning, to get to, to open up the word of God together, to get to learn from him. Uh, and I just want to pray that, that I'm not the one that gets in the way of God's word today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to open them up to the book of Mark. We're going to start reading from Mark chapter 10. We'll also put it up on the screen. And uh, if you fell behind in your Bible reading this week, do not worry. I'm going to catch up with, I'm going to catch you up this week. Right, we are going to read a lot of verses today. But I promise you that they're going to all be good. And we're not going to have any genealogies. So there you go. Okay. So we're in the series called A Better Way. And we've been learning to follow the way of Jesus. And trying to follow a better way. So if you, um, if you visit bookstores, if you visit libraries, if you uh, check the internet, there's all kinds of self-help books and articles and websites trying to teach you a way to live your best life. But we, as followers of Christ, we believe that the best way is the one set out by the one who created us. If God made us, then he knows the best path for us to reach the full potential that he has placed in our lives. Did you know actually that in the early church, they hadn't really come up with the name Christian. So in the early church, they were called, anybody know what they were called? The followers of the way or the people of the way because they were following the way of Jesus. And with this series, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to come back to follow the ways of the master. So if you have it, or if you want to follow along on the screen, we'll be reading Mark chapter 10, 42 to 44. I'll be reading out of the modern English Bible today, version today. It says, But Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are appointed to rule over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Don't you love it that the way that we do things is not the way that society does things, the way the world does things, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever among you would be greatest must be the servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Can we bow our heads and pray as we stand? Lord, thank you once again this morning for your presence. Thank you for, for allowing us to be in this place. Thank you for our time of worship. Lord, thank you that, that your spirit is in this place, Lord, ministering. And we ask, Lord, as we get into our word, that you open our hearts, you open our ears, Lord, so that you be the one that speaks to us today, Lord. Let me not get in the way of the message that you have for each individual person today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. All right, why don't you greet somebody one more time. High five them before you take a seat. Then you can go ahead and be seated. All right. All 
All right. Man, wasn't our worship amazing the last few weeks? It's just, whew, it's been on fire. Maverick City's got nothing on us. Oh, man, it's been so, so good. All right, and uh, I just want to, before we get too, too into this, I want to take a second and wish, wish this beautiful woman right here a happy birthday. It's my wife's birthday today. So I love you so much, baby. You are, you are amazing. You are amazing. And I couldn't ask for a, a bigger blessing in my life than to have you in my life. So thank God for you every day. All right. Now let's get into it. So don't you love how society, sometimes it feels like they're trying to catch up to the ideas, to the lessons, to the principles that have been in the Bible for thousands of years. Right? You hear researchers, uh, you hear uh, authors come out with these, with these ideas and, and you're like, wait, that's, that's just in the Bible. That's been around for a long time. So today we're going to talk about one of those ideas. It's something that over the last 50 years has been growing in popularity. And, and leadership coaches and book authors, they, they, they walk around like they're the ones that invented it. But it, they, they're not the ones that invented it. It came from Jesus. It's the way of the master. It's something called servant leadership. And it, it, it's big right now. And you've probably heard it around. It's the idea that he who wants to be a true leader will take on the posture of a servant. But this isn't a 50-year-old idea. This is a 2,000-year-old idea because this is what Jesus was teaching his disciples and it's what he wants us to learn today and it's how he wants us to live our life. So today's message, the title is The Way of Service because we believe that the way of Jesus is the way of service. The verses that we read uh, to begin they were actually an answer or response that Jesus gave to a disagreement amongst the disciples about who was the greatest among them, right? And it doesn't give too many details, but I imagine they were, you know, uh, you know, arguing, well, no, I preach better. Oh, I cast out more demons. Oh, I walked on water, kind of, you know, I'm the best. No, I'm the best. I'm going to sit by his right hand. I'm going to sit by his left hand. And Jesus takes and goes, no, 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 you guys have it all backwards. Look, with the world governments, with world leaders, that's how it is. They want to be the ones that are in charge. But if you want to be the greatest, then you have to be the servant of all. In fact, the same scenario takes place in the book of John when they were at the Last Supper. This is the last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples before going to the cross. Right? And the Bible tells us that he takes a towel and he, he wraps it around his waist. And, and the master, the rabbi, the teacher, he humbles himself into the place of being the lowest servant in a household. And he begins to wash his disciples' feet. And when he finishes, he says, this is the example that I'm setting for you. This is the example that you should follow. You should serve one another, right? If you are a true follower of Jesus, then our goal should not be to be served, but to serve. So I want to start with a little bit of a grammar lesson. All right, if I could teach you a little bit of etymology for a couple of words. And these words are in English, but they actually come from the Greek. So usually when a preacher talks about words, he talks about the Greek and the Hebrew. But I want to talk about two English words. And they're words, maybe you've heard one of them, maybe you've heard both, maybe you haven't. The first word is the word orthodoxy. Orthodoxy, and this is a popular word amongst religious circles, right? Theologians like this word, orthodoxy. And the English word orthodoxy comes from the Greek uh, word 
orthos, which means straight or correct, and doxa, which means opinion or belief. So orthodoxy means the correct belief or the correct or the right opinion, right? And religious people love to talk and argue about orthodoxy. You could see it on YouTube videos. You could see it in the comment sections of pretty much any post, any Christian post, any Christian website. You could see it online forums and debates. And they love to argue about who has the correct belief, who has the correct opinion. In fact, in a lot of churches, orthodoxy is the litmus test of who is in and who is out, right? If you want to be a part of that church, they start asking you some questions. Hey, are you pre-trib, post-trib, or a-trib? Hey, what are your views on penal substitutionary, substitutionary, so I can't even say the word, atonement? What's your view on vicarious atonement, on propitiation, on transubstantiation, on eschatology, on soteriology? And don't feel too bad if you don't know what all those words mean. I don't either. <laughs> I mean, that's why I'm going to Lighthouse Leadership College. I'm, I'm trying to learn these things. But these are all fancy theological ideas. And look, there is a place for orthodoxy. But obsessing about having the right opinion on every single little issue is not what's going to make you the greatest Christian ever, right? Second Timothy tells us, and when I read this, whoa, is this really in the Bible? Am I in the right version? But yes, this is in the NIV. Second Timothy 2.23 says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Paul is telling Timothy, look, instead of wasting your time in pointless arguments about things that are not that big a deal, focus on being kind to everyone, on serving, on teaching. That's what really matters. In fact, the book of James tells us that if we want our religion to be perfect, this is what we have to do. This is one of my favorite verses. James 1.27 Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, not to have the right opinion, but to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That is pure religion. You want to know who's right? The people that are taking care of the widows and the orphans and the people that are staying away from the pollution and the corruption of the world. Those are the people that are right. In Matthew 7.20, Jesus tells us that when someone claims to know God, you shall know them by their, he doesn't say by their, by their words, he says by their, by their fruit, by their action, by the way that they behave. In other words, when someone claims to have the right orthodoxy, you will see it in their orthoproxy. And that's the other word I want to talk to you about today. Let me teach you this word. It's not as popular as the first one, but in my opinion, this one is way, way more important. That's the word orthopraxy, right? Again, from the Greek orthos, meaning straight or correct, and then praxis, which refers to practice, action, or deed. So orthopraxy means the correct practice, the right action. We were talking the other day in Bible college with Pastor Josh, and he was saying, we were saying how it is more important to do right than to be right. It is more important to have the right action than the right words. It is more important to live out your orthopraxy than your ortho orthodoxy. All right. Ooh, I'm getting jumbled with these Greek words. All right. No, those are in English. All right. <laughs> 
it is more important to do right than to be right. Look, in my marriage, I haven't been right in 16 years. But I've got a happy marriage. Why? Because I do what my wife tells me. Oh, setting some marriages free this morning. That's, that's bonus. That's not part of the message. But sometimes what you do is more important than what you think or that whatever your opinion is. All right. Yes, dear, is the best way to have a happy marriage. All right. Back to the book of James. Told you we have a lot of scriptures today. We have a lot of scriptures because this matters to God. You know, we learned at Bible college that you shouldn't build your doctrine around one verse. But if there's hundreds of verses telling you this, that's because God is passionate about this. This is important to God. So look at James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And then in the very next chapter, James says, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says with your orthodoxy, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs through their orthoproxy, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. What matters is your orthoproxy. I love what it says in 1 John chapter 3. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with what? With actions and in true. You truly love somebody, don't show it in your words, show it in your actions. Because the way of the master is the way of service. So let's shift a little bit. Let's talk about what service actually means. So as a school teacher, you know, one of the heroes of society, of course, uh, I'm kidding. Uh, but as a school teacher, I'm considered a public servant. Why am I considered a public servant? Because it's my job to educate children or at least to try to educate children. Some days are good, some days are not as good as others. But we're trying to build children up, right, to teach them. I'm a math teacher, so I'm trying to teach them math, but pray for me because every day I'm trying to speak life into them as well. Um, but I also work at Camp Pendleton. So 80 to 90% of my students have parents that at least one of them is in the military. And in our, in our men and women in uniform, they're also considered public servants because they protect our nation against foreign threats. So in the same way, Christian service can be, can be defined in two categories. There's like two sides to that coin. Just like in sports, there's an offense and there's a defense. The servants of God... We can do things that help draw people closer to God, and we can do things to help protect people against the destructing attacks of the enemy. So there's an, an, an offensive piece and a defensive piece to that. Put another way, let me define it like this. Christian service is any action that builds up the kingdom of God or tears down the kingdom of the enemy, right? Whether you're just helping out one person, whether you're helping out a group, whether you're doing something for society, for your community as a whole, any action that builds up the kingdom of God or that tears down the kingdom of the enemy is what we would call Christian service. And notice that they're both important, and we can all play a role in doing both. To follow the sports analogy, think of uh, a sport like football, right, where you have an offense and a defense. This is not like that. This is more like, like soccer or like basketball where even though you have your position, everybody has to play a little bit of both, right? Everybody has to help build and everybody has to help protect, right? Everybody tries to score and everybody tries to stop the enemy 
from scoring. So we're all called to do a little bit of both. And you see this in the book of Nehemiah. I love this wonderful example about the children of Israel. They were building up the wall in Jerusalem, right? But they were also being attacked by enemies. So they were building at the same time they were defending. It says in Nehemiah chapter 4, those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his, wore, his, wore his sword at his side as he worked. That's what God wants us to be. He wants us to be ambidextrous. He wants us to be good with both hands. He wants us to be on the offense and on the defense. He wants us to build and he wants us to destroy the strongholds of the enemy. He wants us to build up and also to protect from foreign attacks. That's what we're called to do. And just like our men and our women in the military, they serve our country Uh, They volunteer to serve. The Bible is challenging us to volunteer to serve, not this country, but our heavenly country, but the kingdom of God, a heavenly nation that we are citizens of so that we can build his kingdom. And it's one thing when Uncle Sam asks you to serve his country, but it's a completely different thing when the God of the universe asks you to build and to serve his kingdom. And the thing about working for the kingdom of God is that our weapons are not carnal, the Bible says. Our weapons are not guns or missiles or tanks. They are the power of the Holy Spirit, and they are the fruit of the Spirit. And if you're new to church, that just means that God is going to give you the strength, and God is going to give you the tools that you need so that you can go and build his kingdom using things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because these are the weapons that attack at the core of the enemy. So look, we're not going to change the world through electing the right politician. We're not going to change the world through winning some online arguments on some forum. We're not going to change the world by having a political agenda. The only way that we as the church are going to change the world is in leading by example, by modeling to the world what the kingdom of heaven should look like, by modeling to the world that the message that we preach really is the way to the abundant life that God has for every one of us and can only be found in Jesus. Jesus tells us in John 13, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The way you treat each other, the way you love each other, right? And one of the guiding verses in my life is in Matthew 5.16. This verse, it it gets me. It gets me when I read it. It, It's been a big blessing to my life. It says, let your light so shine before men that when they see your, your what? Your good works, not your opinions, not your words, not your appearance either. Not your words, not your appearance, but your good works. It says, they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. God has called us to be people of action. And when people see that genuine, that true action, that points them towards God, it says, as a light, as a light that's shining to lead them the way. Kind of like a lighthouse. That would be a good name for a church. All right. Notice, it doesn't say that they'll see our good orthodoxy. It says that they'll see our good orthopraxy. And since he's not here, I'm going to gossip a little bit about pastor. Um, Don't worry, it's, it's, it's good. Uh, and we're praying for our pastor. They're off on a trip, and we pray for their, their safe return. And he's got a conference this week as well. Uh, so we love our pastor. But um, 
When we were, as, as many of you guys know, we're, we're new to this church. We just joined this church last year. And, and we, were, we were visiting some churches. But I knew that God was calling us to come to this church and to serve under Pastor Josh. When at the end of services when we would visit, I would see Pastor Josh out in the tent and he would be stacking chairs and he would be rolling up umbrellas and he would be putting things away. And I remember thinking to myself, that's the kind of pastor that I can get behind. That's the kind of church that I can be proud to be a part of. Not a pastor that thinks that he just is going to tell other people what to do. Not a pastor that thinks he's above helping and serving, but a pastor that follows the way of the master. A pastor who's willing to put a towel around his waist and wash the, the feet of his disciples. A pastor who was there to serve, not to be served. So if you're at this church, this is the right place because our vision from the top down is to be of service to each other and to a world in need. Now, I'm so glad, so happy to be a part of this church and I see our amazing pastors and I see them helping out with construction, see them in the back, see them in the dream team, see them with the kids, see them with the students and they're doing amazing, amazing things and I honestly consider it a privilege and I'm humbled to get to work alongside them. But here's the thing. Pastor cannot do it alone, and even all the pastors put together cannot do it by themselves. This is a whole team effort. It's going to take all of us. I was reading this week, and I didn't know this, but I was reading this week that in modern warfare, at least according to the internet, in modern warfare, less than 20% of the troops are actually considered what's called combat personnel. Less than 20% of the troops are actually in the front line. More than 80% of the work happens behind the front line, happens in what's called supporting, uh, what it, combat support and supporting personnel, right? They are in a supporting role. But here's the thing. Without those 80%, it would be near impossible for the 20% to win the battle, to win the war. It's because there's people in the background doing the logistics, running the satellites, uh, getting all the information, doing even, even cooking. It's thanks to all of them that our soldiers are able to get into the front line and win the victory. It's the same way at this church. If you think that, oh yeah, Pastor Josh, he's the servant of God. Oh, the pastors, they're the servants of God. You're wrong. That's just 20%. The other 80% is you and me getting behind them, being a part of this, handling the logistics and the coffee and the greeting and the setup and the takedown and the sound and everything else that needs to get done for this church to move forward and for the kingdom of God to prosper. Very little could be done if we put all the weight on our pastors. But together and united, we have the victory in Jesus. We were just in the month, in the month of September... We, were, uh, we had this, this great series, and, and Pastor Josh was going through the four parts of the mission of this church, the mission of God for all of our lives, right? And if you, hopefully if you were paying attention, if you remember them, they're going to be up on the screen. They were what? To know God, to find freedom, to discover purpose, and to make a difference. And I know it's not easy, but we have to push to get to that fourth one. Right? God has chosen all of us to go and to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in a world that is desperate for hope, that is desperate for help, and that is in desperate need of a Savior. And it's up to you and to me to go and bring that kingdom of heaven to the people here on earth. Look, I wonder, 
how it's going to be when we get to heaven. Because I could just imagine that we're going to go up to God and we're going to want to talk about the things that we thought he thought were important. Right? We're going to go up to God. God, look at me, God. I didn't cuss. I didn't do drugs. I went to church on Sundays. What do you think about that? And I could just imagine God looking at us and telling us, I wasn't even taking attendance at church on Sundays. Look, I was busy focusing on the people that were out there trying to be the church every day of the week. Those are the people that I cared about. Sunday service was not as important to me as being of service to a world in need. That's, in my opinion, that's what matters to God. When you look at the scriptures, that's what matters to God. Not Sunday service, but being of service to building the kingdom. Okay, so how do we do it? How can we be of service? You might be thinking, you might be asking, because I've asked myself the same question. What can I do? What do I have to offer? Right? (laughs) Sam, look at me. I don't have any abilities. I don't have any talents. I can't play an instrument. I don't have, uh, I can't sing. I don't have the voice of a preacher. Well, if you've heard this raspy thing right here, I don't either. And yet here I am. Why? This is key. Please, I want you to catch this. Because it's not about what you can do. It's about what God can do through you. I'm going to say it one more time. It is not about your skills, your talents, your abilities. It is not about what you can do. It is about what God can do through you. And whatever you have to offer, God can use it. If you got hands, you can help move chairs. You can help pick things up. You can help put things away. You can help do things around the church. If you have a mouth, even if you've got stage fright and you can't come up here, you can stand in the back. You can greet people. You can give people an encouraging word. Even if you can't speak, you can text. You can type. You can send an email. There's always something that you can do and contribute to build the kingdom of God. If you don't believe me, look at somebody like Nick Vigisic. Have you, have you seen this guy? He's got no arms. He's got no legs. And he travels the world preaching the gospel. If he can do it, you can do it. If he doesn't let that stop him, then nothing should be stopping you, right? Let me give you one more example because I don't want anybody to say that they have nothing to contribute to the kingdom of God. I believe that as long as there's breath in your lungs, God has a calling for your life and a purpose for your existence. I want to kind of call out my mom today. Uh, Awesome, beautiful lady. I have this mom and my mom is not a licensed minister, My mom is not an ordained pastor. She's not a prophet or an apostle or a theologian. But I have probably learned more from my mom about what it means to be a servant of God than anybody else. Look, and you might be able to relate to this. Theologically, there are many things my mom and I do not see eye to eye, right? When it comes to the non-essentials, we have a little bit of different orthodoxy, right? (laughs) To, 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 To say it lightly. Right? I, I think that she's a little bit stuck in kind of some old-fashioned traditions of her denomination, and she thinks that I'm abandoning everything sacred and holy. Right? And, and if you're laughing, it's probably because you have one of those moms as well. Uh, but you know what? That doesn't matter. That's not the, the, the big thing. That's not the important thing. Look, I love my mom. And I love that she is not a theological debater. My mom is a theological doer. 
Look, throughout my years growing up, I've never seen her stop helping people. I've seen her help believers and unbelievers, Christians and non-Christians, saints and sinners, gay and straight, church leaders and backsliders, and sometimes people that were church leaders that were backsliding at the same time. All right? She has helped single mothers. She's helped marriages. She's helped young and old, legal and illegal, liberal or conservative, of different backgrounds, of different ethnicities. My mom every year does a mission trip to Tijuana. And she has taken hundreds of backpacks for kids living in some of the poorest neighborhoods. She has taken hundreds of Christmas toys for kids living in poverty. And all of this, without a high school diploma, without having great English skills, without having a lot of money, all that she's done has put herself in God's hands and said, God, here I am, use me. God, here I am, send me. If you could use anything, then I am at your service. Use me, Lord. And if my mom can do it, we can do it. Okay, how do we start? Well, I got the shirt today. Start by joining the dream team. If you want to get involved, this is your chance. Start at your local church. Right? I promise you, we're going to find a place for you to serve. If you're tone deaf like me, we're not going to put you to sing, but we're going to find a place for you to serve. And look, if you really, if you really love Jesus... If you really want to serve in humility and sacrifice, then join the Elkid staff. All right? Please. Because nothing will humble your soul more than spending all week getting your lesson ready, getting your slides ready, getting your props ready, and showing up on a Sunday and seeing those bright-eyed faces Right, and you going into your lesson and you think you're killing it, you think you're crushing it, you're giving the kids an example about David and Goliath and you got your props and one of those little bright-eyed hands shoots up and you're like, yes, what's your question? And you're ready to answer any theological question they throw at you. And they're like, is there going to be ice cream at the block party? <sighs> Look, there is a special place in heaven. There's like a VIP section if you work in children's ministry. So, if you're interested, meet me after service. We will sign you up. All right. <laughs> but all joking aside, service is even more than what we can do at church. Yes, Dream Team is an awesome, that's a great start. But there's more to service than just helping out on Sundays. It's even more than what we do on serve days. And we have some amazing surveys. Once a year, we put on our red serve shirts, and we go out and we help plant gardens and paint fences and clean up and set things up and build things. And that is awesome. That's an amazing experience. But we do that maybe once or twice a year, right? So service is more than a Sunday. Service is more than a once or twice a year kind of thing. In fact, sometimes service then some of the most important things that you can do for the kingdom of God are things that no one will ever see. Look, I'm talking about the kind of service that you're not going to post on your Instagram stories. I'm talking about the kind of service where nobody is around and you're just a shoulder for somebody to cry on. The kind of service when you have to get up in the middle of the night and drive for an hour to pick up a friend who made some poor choices and ended up in the wrong place. You're not going to be taking no selfies, right? Hey, right? <laughs> That's just between you and your friend, and you're there to help them, you're there to minister to them. It's when you're standing with a, you're sitting at a table in front of a couple, and you're trying to help them save their marriage, and you're not going to tell anybody about that. 
It's when you go and you visit somebody that everybody else has forgotten about. It's when you're on your knees with no one around and you're crying out to God because someone you know is hurting and you empathize with their pain and you feel it and you're interceding for them that God makes a way and uh, brings a breakthrough in their life. That's what I'm talking about. That's true service. We were, we were just at a, at, a, at, a, at a memorial service yesterday. We were celebrating the life of this beautiful woman. And when she was going through, through some of the hardest challenges in her life, her brothers got behind her and, and they helped her out and they were there for her and they pulled her out and, and, they, and they, they rescued her. And nobody saw that and they didn't post and they didn't get on the newspaper. Nobody saw that. But I was sharing with them that that's when you're a true messenger from heaven. That's when you're a true guardian angel. That's when nobody else is seeing it, but you're doing out of love, out of altruism, out of true compassion. That's what God is looking for. And look, if you have young kids right now and you're in a situation where you feel like, oh man, I want to be more involved and I wish I could do more, remember that there are seasons of service. Okay, so I don't want anybody to walk out of this place feeling guilty or feeling bad. There are seasons and there's going to be some seasons in your life where true service is just bringing your kids up. It's just changing diapers. It's just helping guide your kids in the way of the Lord. That's your service for a while. Sometimes for some of us, maybe the way we used to serve, God has closed that door. And we feel like, oh, I can't serve anymore because that door got closed. Maybe that's God telling you that he wants to open a new opportunity. He wants to open a new door to take you in a new direction for you to serve in a different way. That's all that that means. And I want to I wanna give you this, this illustration that I, I, I heard this, day in the, uh, the, this week in an audiobook. And I think it really applies to what we're talking about today. Because when we become Christians, we start to learn about something called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, right? And, and we learn and we start to think that the kingdom of heaven is, is something out there that we're going to go to one day when we die, right? With the pearly gates and the streets of gold uh, and, and the sea of crystal, this beautiful, beautiful place. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, he, Jesus says, I will go and prepare a place for you. But in his message series uh, a few weeks ago, Pastor Josh was telling us, he was sharing with us how that's only half of the story. If all you're doing is waiting until you die to go to heaven, then you're only living half of the story that God has for your life, right? Pastor Josh was teaching us that part that a calling in our lives is that God wants us to build his kingdom here on earth. Right? In fact, Jesus, when he was teaching us to pray, uh, what did he teach us? He said, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Jesus' message, you hear him say it over and over. He would declare, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you know what that means? That means that the kingdom of heaven is within reach. You don't have to wait until you die. You can attain it right now. So when we say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, the students, had uh, they made these little bags. And it said, in North County, as it is in heaven. They made it more local. They said, God, we want your kingdom right here as it is in heaven. And see, like I said, in heaven, God is taking care of the construction. Right? He's went to prepare a place for us. But guess what? Here on planet Earth, we are the hands and the feet of Jesus. So when we pray, your kingdom come, what are his hands and his feet going to do? 
All right, T.D. Jakes uh, likes to say, when you ask God for a table, he sends you a tree. When you ask God for his kingdom to come, he doesn't send you pearly gates or streets of gold. He sends you a shovel. He sends you some gloves. He sends you a hard hat and a whole lot of cement. And he says, that's right, my kingdom come. Now go and build it. You go and you build the kingdom of God because you are the servants of God. That is our calling. That is what we are going to do. It's up to us to go and build the kingdom. Build it by serving each other. Build it by loving each other. Build it by being generous. Build it by loving our neighbor. Build it by overcoming evil with good. Build it by being the light of the world. See, a lot of us grew up with this idea that a good Christian is somebody who dresses in their Sunday best and comes to church and sits there at church on Sunday. But we have to break that old stereotype. We have to create a new prototype. We have to start thinking that the truest Christians, the ones that are really doing the master's will, are the ones that are in the dirty clothes, are the ones wearing the hat, hard hat, are the ones who are taking a shovel, are the ones that are out there building actively, sweating to build the kingdom of God. Maybe it's through building. Maybe, maybe you're out there changing a dirty diaper. Maybe you got snot on your pants because those L kids, some snotty kids. Maybe you get dirty. That's the Christians. That's the servants that God is looking for. The way of the master is the way of service. And if somebody wants to be the greatest, they need to be the servant of all. And it's easy to ask, uh, but Sam, if God is God, couldn't he just build his kingdom and just give it to us? Yeah, he can. But let me give you this example. I'm going to give a, use a shoe example. I'm not a big shoe guy, but I'm actually wearing some Jordans today. Uh, they were, uh, they were my birthday present. It's the first pair of Jordans I ever have. And now I could say that they're my Jordans because my brother gave them to me for my birthday, right? So they're my Jordans. However, imagine if instead I heard a knock on my door, I open it, and Michael Jordan was standing there, and he said, hey, I want to bring you back to my studio with my crew, and I want you to help me design the next edition of Jordans. And we flew over there, and I go, oh, we should do this. We should make it like that. And then those Jordans came out, and then I would wear them. I would say these are my Jordans, but in a completely different level, right? Those aren't just some shoes I got for my birthday. These are the Jordans that I was a part in building. This morning, God is knocking at the door, not to give you the kingdom of God, but saying, hey, I want you to go back, and you, me, and our crew... We're going to build the kingdom of God together so that you have ownership, so that you can just say, not just say, this is my kingdom because God gave it to me, but this is my kingdom because I helped God build it. And let me tell you that there is nothing better in life that you could dedicate your life to than building the kingdom of God. Building the kingdom of God is what you and I were created for. This is why he has us here. And nothing will fulfill your soul like telling God, yes, I will answer that knock and I will build the kingdom of God with you. Can I finish by sharing one of my favorite quotes with you? And I wish I could tell you that I read this quote in some fancy theological book or discourse. But no, I saw it on a post in the internet somewhere. But man, this quote 
It just guides my life. It says, I saw the world in turmoil and I asked God why he did nothing. I did, he answered. I sent you. Oh, burn. God, God, don't you see what's happening? Look around. God, what are you doing about it? I sent you. I put you there. I put you in that situation so that you could be the difference maker, so that you can be the light, so that you could be the change maker. God is sending us not to a world that's already fixed, but to a world that needs fixing so that we can be the fixers. And look, if you're looking for a church where your expectation is just to show up on Sundays, put a few dollars in the offering plate, and drink your coffee, you're in the wrong church. This is not resort church. This is not vacation church. This is not spa church. This is lighthouse church. And a lighthouse is a working building. A lighthouse is a beacon of hope for the lost and the weary and the stranded. And as long as God has us here, we are going to be a beacon of hope to the cities in North County. We are going to be a beacon of hope to the lost and the desperate. We're not just here to claim God's promises. We're here to build God's promises. We're not just here to claim God's blessings. We're here to build God's blessings. We're not just here to claim the kingdom of God. We're here to build the kingdom of God. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Tell your neighbor, let's get to work. And just like in the book of Nehemiah, we're going to pick up a tool in one hand, a, a weapon in the other. We're going to fight against the enemy, and we're going to build the kingdom of God. We're going to lift people up, and we're going to defend against the attacks. But this only happens if we do it together. This only happens if we unite under the banner of God and follow the way of the master. Can I pray with you? God is standing at the door knocking today. My prayer is that you answer that call. Lord, we come before you this morning. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.